What is good, NBA fans? Welcome into another week of Dropping Dimes. I'm your host, Matt Nost, and uh, we are here to talk about all the sweet, sweet NBA action from the association over the past week since I last saw you guys. I hope you're doing well out there. And today, we're going to be talking about championship or bust for one particular team. Um, and it's the Phoenix Suns. They've arguably been the best team in basketball all season. There was a time when it was them and the Warriors fighting out for supremacy as to who was the number one team. And in the long run, it has proven out to be Phoenix is the said team. And CP3 is getting ready to come back. And when he went down, you know, on this show, I started postulating, well, how much is this going to affect the team? Are they going to slide down? Is this going to jeopardize their standing? Will Memphis be able to catch uh, and make up some serious ground on them? And hypothetically, had Memphis kept playing the way they did in the worst-case scenario for the Suns without CP3, is they could potentially you know, fall out of the number one seed. Now, it's a slim chance, but there was a chance just because you don't know exactly what they're going to look like without the steady leadership of Chris Paul. And with him slated to get back, you look over their record and everything they've done in his absence. And it's pretty, it's pretty impressive. Everybody on the team has stepped up. Now the guys that are getting more run than anyone else um, with Booker Bridges Cam Johnson, DeAndre Ayton, and Cam Payne. They really had to elevate their games to make up for Chris Paul's absence. And it was a question leading to that. Will all these guys be able to step up and really prove their championship medal? Can they do it? What will they look like with the loss of arguably their best player? You could, you could sell me on Booker. Uh, or you can sell me on CP3. Those are the two best players. And depending on how you want to look at that question, you can come up with two very different answers. But CP3 really helped change the identity of that team. You know, the bubble season in Orlando, they had a great run to close out, almost made it into the play-in game, and carried that momentum into the next season. And then CP3 joins them, and we have last year where they make a finals run and then it rolls over into this year where they started off a little bit slow, you know, championship fatigue or championship level, making it to the finals fatigue. And then since then they've been playing lights out. So CP goes down and becomes a question of how are they going to respond? So the five players I listed to you were Devin Booker, Mikhail Bridges, DeAndre Ayton, Cam Johnson, and Campaign. Campaign would be taking over for those point guard duties. So before, when CP was there, here are their stats. For Booker, he was 25 and a half points a night on 44.6% shooting overall, 36.9 from three. Five free throw attempts, five rebounds, four and a half six assists, and he was a plus minus six point three in thirty four minutes a night. 
Bridges, 13.4 points on 53% shooting, 36.5 from three, uh, 1.6 free throw attempts, four rebounds, two assists, plus or minus 6.9 in 34 minutes. DeAndre Aiden, 16.5 on 63% uh, shooting, 22% from three, which he doesn't shoot. <coughs> Averages, I believe, less than one a game. Uh, 2.8 free throw attempts per game, 10 rebounds, plus or minus 4.2 in 29.1 minutes a game. Uh, Cam Johnson was 11.9 points a game on 46% shooting, 43% from three, one free throw attempt, four rebounds, one assist. It was a plus or minus 4.3 in 26 minutes. And finally, campaign at 11.9 points on 40% shooting, 33.6 from three, 1.7 free throw attempts, almost three rebounds, uh, nearing four assists a game, and a plus or minus of 4.3 in 20.4 minutes. All respectable numbers. But now with CP going out, some of these guys are going to get a big boost in minutes, and predominantly it's going to be campaign. But they're going to have to make up for that lack of leadership, the uh, floor generalship, the assist, the steadying of the offense, the redistribution of minutes, the redistribution of shots. And how is that team going to respond in that situation? And what is their coaching staff going to do? So Booker increased his points overall from 25.5 to 28.2 while shooting. Eight percentage points better. He's over at 52.5%. And his three-point shooting went up by almost a full three percentage points to 39.1. He uh, actually decreased his free throw attempts from five to four, which, you know, what are you going to do? Rebound stayed roughly the same. His assists went up by two and a half assists per game. His plus or minus went up uh, by... 3.5 to 9.8, and he only increased his minutes by 1.2 minutes. So basically, he just increased his efficiency overall, playing the same amount of minutes. Mikhail Bridges bumped his scoring up by four points a game. Shooting stats uh, from the floor overall, pretty much percentage-wise, stays the same except for threes. He's shooting better from three with CP3 out over this stretch. His free throws have gone up. His rebounds uh, stayed the same. His assists went up slightly to one more assist per game, but his plus or minus went from a 6.9 to a 10.1, and he's only playing three and a half more minutes a game. That's that's a big impact. Both those guys, percentages went up. Uh, their points went up. Their plus or minus went up. They're stepping up into it. Aiden even increased overall. He's 18.4 compared to 16.5 before from the floor. So, that, pardon me, uh, points per game. And his shooting percentages went from 63 to 67.8. His threes, basically, he doubled his threes. He went from 22% to 43%. But, in essence, he's only shooting one per game. Um, so, it's not like it's a huge difference. But he's hitting them on a better clip. So, that's always good. His free throw attempts went down, which is interesting, but I'm guessing there's less rim running, running with without uh, the consistent 
you know, CP getting deep into the heart of the paint and then feeding over to him. Uh, he's not getting fouled as much and he doesn't bang down low uh, like other players, especially for a guy his size. Um, his rebounds took a slight hit, but his plus or minus went from 4.2 to 9.3 and he's playing the exact same minutes. So he increased his workload to make up for it. Then you have Cam Johnson. Cam Johnson made the most staggering leap of all these guys. Before he was at 11.9 points per game on 46% shooting. He has jumped in CP3's absence to 23.4 points per game on 60% shooting. His threes went from 43%, which is fantastic. You know, if you can shoot 41-42, that's excellent in the league. And he's gone to 58.5 from three. 58.5 from three. And this is over since the middle of February. We've gotten a solid month, and he's shooting almost 60% from three. His free throws went from one a game to just a shade under five. Now, his rebounds took a slight dip from four to three, but his assists, he went from one to three. His plus or minus went from 4.3 to six, and he only increased his minutes per game by three and a half minutes. So in three and a half minute difference, taking over more of the offensive workload, he shot, he doubled, more than doubled. Well, right at doubled his points per game. And then finally, campaign. This was all going to hang on campaign. He went from 11.9% on, on 40% shooting to 14.2 on 41.9% shooting. His threes jumped up by uh, two percentage points to 35.3. He mildly increased his free throw attempts um, from 1.7 to 2.1. So basically, he's getting roughly the same. He increased his rebounds by a full rebound a game, but the assists, he went from 3.6 to 9.5. That's what you need out there is somebody distributing the ball, finding the hot hand. And his plus or minus went from 4.3 to 12, the most dramatic leap of any of these guys, and an increased workload of 10 extra minutes a night. They went 10 and 4 thus far in CP3's absence. And they're going to, uh, CP's going to miss tonight's game in Minnesota. So this could increase even more so. And that to me just reeks of champion. Someone goes down. It's beyond next man up. The entire team leveled up. They all increased their workload or other guys like Booker just modestly and still shared, you know, the oxygen in the room with all the other guys, as opposed to trying to gulp it all up, thinking that he needed to do everything in their absence. And he's missed four games during this CP three run. And the Suns went three and one without both Booker and CP three. And then Jay Crowder steps up and they just get production on down the line from numerous guys. This is a well-balanced team where everybody has 
a good sense of their identity and what they do. They play good defense. Mikael Bridges will make an all-NBA uh, defensive team. And it's really impressive to watch. I mean, there's there's question marks surrounding, to me, basically every other team except for the Phoenix Suns. The only question would be, how healthy is Chris uh, actually going to be when he comes back? Because there's a fracture on, uh, you know, the his thumb, fracture in his thumb on his shooting hand. And that's kind of dicey. Because uh, I'm sure he, you could easily fracture that again. But they've proven now with a finals run um, that you can rely on all these guys. And campaign came up in big moments in the finals last year when CP3 was out or just needed to rest on the bench. But when he got hurt, campaign stepped up. There was a campaign game where he just basically took the team on his shoulders and got them a W. So this team just keeps proving over and over again that they can do this at an elite level against the best competition. Now they've got, you know, their next stretch of games is not going to be easy for them. They're at Minnesota tonight, and then tomorrow night they have to travel to Denver. So they've got a back-to-back on the road in Minnesota and Denver. That's not fun, especially having to go to mile high on the second night of a back-to-back when both Minnesota and Denver really need these games. And Phoenix doesn't at this point. Now they're, you know, they're playing because they want to win, obviously, you know, but Minnesota wants to climb out of that seventh seed and they're nipping at the heels of Denver. So if they win this game and then Denver loses the next night, well, that that means that they uh, vault into the six, Denver drops down, and suddenly Denver's in the play-in game. And then after that, they're home for Philly. They go on the road again for a triple slate of at Golden State, at Memphis, and at OKC. Now, OKC is already out of the playoff contention. They've been eliminated from potentially making it unsurprising. But at Golden State, who is fighting for their lives right now in the West, and then at Memphis who wants to prove that they're just as good as anybody else. Those next five games alone at Minnesota, at Denver, home for Philly at golden state. And then at Memphis, that's five really tough games. And then at OKC, they're home for the Lakers. They go on the road for the Clippers and the jazz, and then come back to close the season against the Kings. And that's not an easy slate to close out. And I saw this uh, stat, which is pretty interesting. Um, It was posted on Reddit, which right now, Phoenix has won more games when going into the fourth quarter and they're trailing than they've lost. And they're the only team in the league that has a positive record. They're 14 and 13. So when they're down to start the fourth quarter, They've won 14 of those games, lost 13 of them. And the next closest team in those standings is Memphis at 8-19. and And that's the more common outcome. Um, Because over the past 20 years, there have only been three teams that have a positive record at the end of the season 
when it comes to those fourth quarter trailing and still winning the game. So coming into the fourth trailing and you managed to pull out the win. But here's the kicker on all of that. Those three teams all lost in the playoffs. You have the 2006-7 Mavs who were 13-12, and 12, trailing, starting the fourth quarter, ultimately winning the game. They were the number one seed, and they got upset by the number eight seed in the opening round by the We Believe Warriors. Uh, it was right before the new era Warriors began. And, you know, in that 13 and 12 over the regular season, Dirk only missed four games total over the whole season. So that was a fully healthy team. Number one overall, the prohibitive favorites to win the championship that year. And they got drummed out in the opening round. You're like, okay, well, that's fine. Next example, having this positive uh, fourth quarter stat is 2008-9 Celtics which were 12 and 10, but they were the number two seed who lost in the semis to the number three seed, the magic. Now it took seven games and the magic did make the finals and lost. It was the Dwight Howard year. Um, where it was basically, it was a precursor to a lot of what we see now, which is surround Dwight with shooters, but they still lost in the semis as the number two seed. And then finally we have the 2015, 16 warriors, who were 10 and seven. They were number one overall. This was the 73 win team. Odds on favorite by everybody's estimation to win the entire thing. And they lose in seven in the finals to the Cavs as the only team that's ever blown a three, one lead. It's the uh, Draymond uh, kicking the Well, hit LeBron in the nuts series which I think changed the outcome of that overall. Although Draymond showed up in game, pardon me, game seven and played a great game, but the Cavs won that down 3-1. So that's kind of rough for Phoenix. They share a stat line. I saw that because I was just diving into all these numbers like, man, this is really positive. Look at all these guys stepping up. You start looking at the competition that they've taken on. They don't shy away from anybody. They can take your biggest punch and then they share this ignominious record with three other teams who on paper should have competed for, if not won the championship, especially the 2015-16 Warriors. And all three of them lost. You know, one in the first round, one in the second round, and one in the finals. None of them made it to the mountaintop. And will that be the Suns' fate again? I think if healthy, though, because it, you know, this season has been a whole lot of I don't know who the best is. Phoenix, no one really ever talks about all season long, because it's it's about the the quagmire that is the Lakers season, or who's coming in hot in the East, or the big trades, and now you know Philly and Brooklyn become the discussion, and Brooklyn's been a lot of the discussion because of the Kyrie. Uh, debate about getting the vaccine or not and what that did to the chemistry of the team. And there have been storylines galore, but the two teams that have led a lot of the charge in Miami and Phoenix just don't get discussed a tremendous amount. And I think in some regards in Miami, it's because we haven't seen, 
you know, the full collection of that roster uh, healthy and they keep pulling out these wins and you got to give uh, Spo and that coaching staff and all those players a tremendous amount of credit because it's just whoever they need to play that night steps up and they get tremendous production from uh, guys you know and several guys you've never heard of until this season. And by you, I mean me as well. There's numerous uh, individuals on the heat. I'm like, who is who is this? And Phoenix is much the same way. They've just been so good for so long that people are kind of glossing over them because there's sexier teams, so to speak, to discuss the rise of Phoenix, what's going on with uh, Golden State, the MVP discussion around Jokic, um, you know, Minnesota's rise. But no one talks about Phoenix. No one really talks about the uh, Utah Jazz. And everybody else gets the love. And quietly, Phoenix has asserted themselves as the best team in basketball. And I hope for their sake that, uh, you know, that stat of trailing going, uh, you know, trailing going into the fourth and ultimately winning the game is just throwing us off the scent. It's like one of those things of they're going to change the historical trend of that and be able to make it out uh, from the long shadow cast by that stat. And once again, you can find stats to paint any picture you want to, but I did find that one interesting. That's why I included it. But given, you know, the makeup of the team, it's very different from a lot of those. Maybe perhaps save the the Mavericks, but the 08-9 Celtics, KG missed a big chunk of that team, but that team was very top-heavy. And the Warriors were... Well, you know, a lot of the same in some regard. If they don't get tremendous production from their big three, then they're going to be kind of tanked. You could say that about Phoenix. If you don't get great production from CP and Booker, what championship odds do they really have? But the depth overall and the number of guys that can step up and make you get you a bucket has proven to be pretty deep. And then we get, are we going to get playoff Crowder again? We're suddenly... He can't miss a corner three. And, you know, JaVale was an excellent pickup for them. I just think they've got a lot of depth, a lot of heart, and they have youth, and they've got seasoned youth who have made a finals run, who have pushed themselves, who helped create a new culture and identity in Phoenix. And I think that could translate to we have another real championship perennial contender here. Now they're going to have trouble in the off season with the Aiden contract. Um, is he going to be disgruntled if he may, you know, returns to Phoenix? Cause I don't think Phoenix is going to max him. If they were going to max him, more than likely they would have done it by now. Um, and I think they're kind of hedging their bets that nobody else is going to offer Aiden a max. So they might be able to get him at under market of what a number one overall pick, you know, his, that extension should be. Uh, but if they don't, how much does that change this team if he leaves in restricted free agency? Because Phoenix doesn't want to match. I believe he's a restricted free agent. Um, but that's a problem that you worry about tomorrow, not today. And right now, Phoenix, by the numbers are just really impressive. The more you look at it, you know, the more difficult it is to deny 
how good this team really is. And when you look at their overall lead, I mean, it's a nine-game lead right now in the West. They're playing as hot as basically anybody in the league, save for potentially Boston, which over the past like two months or so, Boston is the best team in basketball. They're just getting hot at exactly the right time, unlike my Bulls or the Cavs um, who are floundering. But Phoenix is charging. They were the first to lock up a playoff position. They've clinched their division, and they're very shortly going to clinch the overall number one seed uh, in the West. I mean, it would take them losing all the remainder of their games and Phoenix winning all the remainder of theirs, I think, for this now to switch. And the rest of the West, now now that you have that, basically, if, if everybody's looking at that saying, well, it is what it is. Now the, there's the jockeying for position, and we're going to see more and more of that suddenly because certain teams are incredibly hot. And others are surging a la Brooklyn to a degree where there's a chance Brooklyn could make the six just because Chicago and Cleveland are slipping, especially Chicago, which sucks. We could end up in the play on play in game. Not something I'd like to see, uh, but we're getting guys back. Pat, Pat Williams is back. Caruso has been back soon to hopefully get Lonzo back and we'll get back to full health and see what this team really is. Um, but if Brooklyn stays in that playoff game, well, it looks like Philly wants no part of the number two seed. Because if Brooklyn plays the play-in game and they win that 7-8 matchup, then they play the two. And if Philly plays their cards right, they can avoid them in the opening round. I don't think anybody wants to see Brooklyn in the opening round. Um. They're really starting to put it together. It's late in the season, but they're healthy. And New York may or may not lift that mandate. Um, I don't think the pressure of a Nets playoff push would be enough, but with the looming baseball season to start and Mets and Yankees players not being able to play there if they're unvaccinated, the political pressure on the mayor might be so much that he finally has to relent and lift that mandate. Uh, and, you know, Kyrie sitting courtside showed the the flaw in the argument. And I'm pro-vaccine. I'm vaccinated myself. But he's clearly not going to get the shot. And if he can sit courtside, mere feet from players, then the hypocrisy in that is a little bit thick. And I understand the point it, right now that he's trying to make. Um, and the NBA is not going to force or try and exert influence on the city to do anything about it. It is the city's choice. It is a political matter. And I can't imagine that Silver wants to touch that with a 10-foot stick. Um, you know, that because Toronto has that problem. Um, that's why this matchup for Brooklyn right now isn't ideal. They want like Cleveland to slip down and Toronto to move up. That way 
if they stay in the eight position and they have to go to Cleveland, well, Kyrie can play in Cleveland. Um, but the jockeying for position. So I think at one and two right now in the East, you've got Miami and you've got Milwaukee. And I don't think either team gives two shits as to who they have to play. Uh, just the makeup and the personality of both those teams to me reads as we'll take on anybody you throw at us. Come on. What, what you got? Those are both like dark alleyway teams of I am here to fight and I will fight you all. And even if that means I lose, I'm taking some of you down with me. Um, undoubtedly. I believe that wholeheartedly. Whereas Philly, I think wisely says, well, maybe we should try and steer clear of someone like Brooklyn. Because they would have right now the Cavs as a 3-6 matchup. And that's a much better matchup for Philly. Although Jared Allen is not going to have surgery, so he should be back come playoff time. So the length of the Cavs can be a problem um, for damn near any time, team just because they're running out so many different seven-footers. But given the just the weird injuries that have happened to Cleveland throughout the course of the entire year, it seems on some level that they're somewhat snake-bitten. Um, they man the Bulls. The Bulls have had more COVID and injuries than damn near anyone. Um, and I think, you know, Boston could easily climb up. They're only a half game back of two. And that's another one right now. I'm not sure they fear anybody just could, given how well they're playing right now. And if they keep surging in the way that they are, you know, it could be like Milwaukee and Boston at one, two to close out this season. But Miami still has a two game lead and I'm not writing them off, but we are going to see a little bit. I think Philly is going to do everything in their power to stay out of Brooklyn's way in that first round. And then the, the bottom end of the spectrum, you know, you got Charlotte and Atlanta playing in the other play-in game. And right now, Atlanta has a five-and-a-half game lead over the Wizards uh, for the 10th spot, and they should hold that strong. Although I'm really hoping they get drummed out in the play-in game. I'd prefer to see Charlotte, A, win that game, and B, you know, with the celebratory of nature of of Trey Young in MSG, I appreciate the showmanship, but simultaneously, you guys are 500. And on some nights, acting as though you're the best team in basketball. Now, it's good to play with the confidence and swagger. It just, it's also, you guys are 500. I, like many, thought you were going to be excellent this year, given your youth and the confidence boost that you should get from making that, you know, an Eastern Conference Finals push. Uh, and it just didn't translate. They've been mostly in disarray for a huge chunk of the season. And then on the the other spe- the side of the spectrum in the West, like Golden State is slipping. You know, losers of three straight right now. Steph is out. 
because of the, you know, Marcus Smart rolling up on his ankle. And last night they played piss poor against the Magic. I mean, at one point going, uh, you know, through the third quarter, they were three of 18 from three. Then they hit, I think it was five straight threes to take the lead. But up until that point, I mean, just shooting piss poor. And they're not getting to the line all that much because they have jump shooters. It's the old argument of, you know, it's tough to win a championship if you have a team full of jump shooters because if nobody's getting the line and putting pressure on a defense on the interior, that if your shots aren't falling and you can't get a bucket within five feet of the rim, you're limited as to your offensive output. And, you know, name me the guys that finish that try and drive down to the lane consistently on the Warriors once Steph is out. Plus, their entire offensive structure is predicated upon Ron having Steph and the gravity that he draws, the extra defenders and whatnot, where you have to respect him from so far away from the basket that it opens up the entire offense and you take that out and suddenly you have a collection of interesting players, but I don't know how lethal they are as a team, as evidenced by the fact that they have losers of three straights and Steph's been up. And Draymond dragged them last night. Now, they're in the third position. I don't think they have any real chance of overcoming Memphis in ninth. Uh, pardon me, two games back in uh, second position. Uh, the ninth comes from Memphis is nine games back of Phoenix. But Memphis is just playing better basketball right now, flat out. And Utah is playing better basketball now. Golden State has a two-game lead, but if Curry has to stay out for another week, week and a half, that carries them into the end of the season. And if this losing streak continues, then they're dropping down to four and even hypothetically could drop down to five. And suddenly you're on the road for the rest of the playoffs when you've been in the driver's seat in first and second uh, position for the entirety of the season and now it's slipping through your grasp because you have those teams below you are surging especially dallas and minnesota and minnesota's you know only a game back of denver and they could very easily be in that sixth position what a story for minnesota and then we get into the bottom you know quagmire of Clippers, Lakers, Pelicans, which Clippers are six and a half games back of Minnesota. Uh, Lakers are 10 and a half, and then Pelicans are 11 and a half. Like none of those teams could hold the water of Minnesota as of right now. Now we'll see come playoff time, things can change, but there is such a separation between those. But you just want to get out of that play-in game because if you have two bad nights, you're suddenly out and this entire season's work is just thrown out the window. All the progress you made. That's why I said last week, I think there should be a minimum games distance to trigger an actual play-in game for a team. So if you're somebody like Minnesota or if Denver drops down, but you have a huge lead over the next team, they shouldn't have to play. It should be winner of 9-10 plays the Clippers and the Clippers only for the final spot. 
and the seventh team. I realize the NBA loses money on that, but it just it really nullifies all the hard work that they put in over the course of the season if they just have two bad nights. Now, you could say, well, you knew that going into it, and that was part of something that was agreed upon by all parties. Uh, I just think there needs to be a tweak to that going forward. Um, all right, let's jump in with the chat. Uh, you guys have been uh, patient with me as I've gone on for 37 minutes at this point. Um, Jordan Anderson said he went to the Jazz Clippers game last Friday, and Donovan Mitchell sat out for a rest day, and they still beat the Clippers by 40. Do you think the Clippers make the playoffs? Uh, I mean, I th- yeah, they've, they've got a chance. You know, say they lose their 7-8 game and they've got to play the winner of 9-10. Well, we're all assuming the winner of 9-10 is more than likely going to be the Lakers if they're at full health if Anthony Davis is back. And can they beat them? Yeah, it's it's entirely possible. I mean, at this point, the Lakers really need LeBron to score 50 to have a chance to win. Now, they've, they've finally won a game where LeBron didn't have to score 50. Uh, but still, this team looks inherently flawed. And that has been talked to death. Do I think the Clippers can make it? Yeah, I do. And there's, you know, discussion as to will Kawhi and or PG make it back. Kawhi's back to, I guess, play on three-on-three and uh, some five-on-five stuff. Maybe. There's a chance. You get Kawhi back, and suddenly you've got an alpha out there. Um, You know, crazier things have happened. Um, Then Jordan Anderson also asked, who's your front runner for MVP? I'm going to do MVP, All-NBA, and all that stuff coming up in the very near future because uh, we've got basically two regular shows before the play-in game start, I believe. Um, the play-in games, I want to start say start on either the 10th or the 12th of April, and then we'll get into discussion of the overall playoff picture. So my guess is I'll do MVP and All-NBA and all that stuff uh, on the 6th. Um, and right now it's it's a three man race with Jokic, Giannis, and Embiid, and I'd like to see how this entire season you know shakes out personally before I crown one because you can make a case for all three. I don't think there's a head and shoulders guy above. If you go by pure stats, it's Jokic. If you go by just the overall dominance with Giannis in contention for defensive player of the year, first team, all NBA and just offensively dominating games. It's pretty hard to deny that he's the best player right now playing. And then Embiid's got the narrative. Uh, I think all three have a great case for it this year. Um, so Yuri McGarley says, it's amazing what the Suns have done in two years. They finished the 2018-19 season last in the West for the third year straight. And then 21-22, they were in the finals. And, well, 21-22, you mean 2021, they were in the finals. 21-22 is this year, and they are the odds-on favorite to win it all. Yeah. It's, you know, it started with the culture that they created there, and then you bring in someone like CP3, and then suddenly... 
They're off to the races. Um, so Christian Vilstrup says, also the Suns signed Gabriel Lundberg, the first Dane, yeah, to be signed by an NBA team. It still hasn't played yet. Even though I'm a Celtics fan, as a Dane, that makes me root a little for the Suns. Yeah, I saw that. He's like the best international player that was uh, available on the free agency market, and they uh, snapped him up. Hey, a little bit more depth. Can't hurt. Um, Diamond Rattler says Jokic is MVP. The Nuggets will smash the Suns in seven games. I don't um, I don't know what that last part is, but smash the Suns? Well, you know, Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray are scheduled to come back sometime somewhat soon. MPJ before, and we'll see what they look like as a full team. But right now, the Suns have, I think, a greater identity as to who they are, and they don't have to reintegrate two key pieces this late. And had Murray not gotten hurt in the bubble, I pegged the uh, Nuggets to be perennial West favorites for like a two to four year window, just the youth and the direction of that team. So I hope it gets back to that because they're a shitload of fun. Um, Jokic very well could be MVP. I think a lot of the narrative has shifted against him, making him a back-to-back MVP, which, you know, happens. Uh, It's a weird thing in the NBA where sometimes the best player doesn't win because voter fatigue or people want to vote for somebody new that doesn't have it or they want to reward somebody that's also having a great season even though by understanding and recognition of the overall stats, one guy is having a better season. Um, Diamond Rattlers tripling down saying the Nuggets will smash every team in the East in a seven-game series without Murray uh, and without MPJ. I don't know about that, Diamond, but I do appreciate your confidence. Um, Nazir Muhammad says, who do you see getting the first seed in the East since the Heat uh, only have a two-game lead in Milwaukee, and the Sixers in Boston are two and a half games back with 11 games left in the NBA season? Well, I mean, like I discussed before, Milwaukee and Boston are playing slightly better basketball than Miami right now. But you can't count Miami out. So until I see them drop off, I'm just going to assume that Miami's taking this number one overall seed. They've proven doesn't matter. You know, Jimmy Butler's out. We win. Bam Adebayo's out. We win. Kyle Lowry's out. We win. Duncan Robinson's not having a great season. Doesn't matter. We win. Uh, it was troubling the other night against the Sixers when they just kept targeting Tyler Hero over and over and over again. And his defensive limitations really were exposed. But that was always to be understood. Um, and he's coming off the bench for you. But Miami has proven next man up, and they are the embodiment of that. Uh, Christian Vilstrup says, I want the Celtics to be a third or fourth seed as it looks right now and avoid the Nets in the first round. Although, as you said, the Nets could get above the play-in line. They could. They've got a chance, Um, especially with my Bulls continuing to slip. And if they can catch Toronto, then they can leap over either us or the Cavs. 
both are reality. It sucks. I didn't want to be in the playing game. This team was better than that. Uh, but we've also suffered through a tremendous amount. Um, so what are you going to do? You know, get into the play in game. If that's the case and prove that you deserve to be in the, the overall run in and of itself. Um, so yeah, Nazir Muhammad says as a Sixers fan, I do not want to face the Nets or Boston. Uh, why would you? But I mean, Boston right now, it's the on off numbers with Tatum are staggering. Just staggering. You can go look those up when he is, you know, the, the difference in his numbers are the best in the league. It's really impressive. He's finally kind of matured into the guy that everybody assumed he always would be. He, you know, showed, showed flashes of it in his rookie year and they make the Eastern conference finals. And you're like this team, Oh my God, they're going to be a real problem. That's why everybody's been pegging them since then to be a contender in the East. And they just kept coming in well under expectations. And now this year, new coach, new voice, but they're just buying in on defense. They're moving the ball around. It's not turning into this. I ISO and then you ISO and we trade back and forth. It's ball movement and excellent defense. Um, and Derek White, who's been a solid pickup for him, although he hasn't shot particularly well, but he gives a little bit of extra fluidity in their offense. The ball doesn't stay with him. He's zipping it around trying to find the open man. Uh, I thought that was a good pickup. I had to surrender a first round draft pick to get him. Um, but I pretty sure it's going to be a late first rounder. Uh, so that's, you know, better for them overall. Jake Cleveland says, happy birthday to Jason Kidd. And have you heard the Lakers are looking to get Quinn Snyder? I have not heard that. That's a new one. Um, I mean, Vogel's going to be part of the blame for this. Even though I don't, I still don't blame Vogel for the bulk of what's wrong with this team. It's just poorly constructed and leveraging assets to get a player that doesn't fit the needs of the team. And I think that's, you know, but Vogel is more than likely going to be ousted, especially if they get bounced from the play-in game. Um, but even if they make round one, they're going to have to play somebody like Phoenix or Memphis, who is not afraid of them in the slightest. And they have the youth to just run them off the court. Um, so yeah, Vogel will get bounced, but I have not heard that. Uh, I'll have to look that up to see, you know, uh, what the the rumors percolating up right now are. Be an interesting fit for Quinn. And does he want to leave? You know, Utah. We'll see. Only time will tell. Uh, but there it is. I think that's a, that's enough for today's drop in dimes. Thank you to everybody that joined me in the chat. Um. The season is almost over. We are gearing up for the playoffs. Um, I may go back to in seasons past. I've done two shows a week during the playoffs just because there's so many games and so much action to discuss. So I'll let you know if that's the case. Um, or hypothetically, I might be working on another show with somebody else to do uh, basketball centric just for the playoffs. Uh, but I don't know. We haven't really discussed it since. Um, so if that comes to fruition, I'll let you know on this show. But uh, that's it for me this week. You can follow me on Twitter at Matt Nost. 
if you haven't already, subscribe to the channel on YouTube. It's youtube.com forward slash dropping dimes. Otherwise, you can subscribe to the podcast anywhere you get it and uh, leave a rating review. I'd really appreciate it. But that is it for Dropping Dimes. Thank you to everybody that joined me in the chat. I'll see you guys next week for another edition of Dropping Dimes. Until then, stay safe out there. Adios.